Welcome to Prairie Doc On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation of 501c3 provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Doc programs. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube and go to prairiedoc.org for more information on making a charitable gift. We start our 22nd season with one of our followers' favorite shows, Ask Anything, where the viewers pick the topics to be discussed. Ask Anything, tonight, on call with the Prairie Duck. Good evening and welcome to the 22nd season of On Call with the Prairie Doc, medical information based on science, built on trust. I'm Dr. Andrew Ellsworth, your Prairie Doc host tonight. Thank you for joining us. Tonight's topic is one of our viewers' favorites, Ask Anything. During this episode, we will be answering viewer questions about any medical topic. Joining us in the studio are Prairie Docs Dr. Deborah Johnston and Dr. Kelly Evans of Avera Medical Group Brookings and Dr. Jill Cruz from Brookings Health System. Welcome, friends. Here we go. Another season. Yes. And you know, this isn't just one of the viewer favorites. This is one of my favorite yes. shows, too. Yeah. I love Ask Anything shows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's why we were in primary care, right? That's we like right. variety. We like, and every day we do this anyway. Right. Our patients are asking us job. different things all the That's time. Right. Yeah. Dr. Kelly Evans, would you please introduce yourself? Sure. So um, I'm back, and I guess it's, is it our third season being? Are the prairie docs for the most part? Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm from Brookings originally. I've been practicing back in Brookings for seven years now. Um, general internal medicine. So I do all adult medicine, a lot of geriatrics, some hospice. Um, I, I feel like I'm. It, even in, after his departure, Dr. Holmes' protege to some degree, probably my practice looks a lot like his did at some point in time. Um, but And I also do a lot of medical education, um, which is one of my passions, is having students and teaching medical students and trying to mentor them toward becoming physicians. So love that part of my job too. That's so important. And that's mm -hmm. part of being a physician, is it being yeah. a teacher. Yep. Mm -hmm. Excellent, yeah. thank you. Mm -hmm. And our token DO and our token hospitalist, yes. Dr. Cruz, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yep, so I'm originally from Inwood, Iowa, and actually this August marked 10 years of living here in Brookings, so it's gone by really fast, I can't believe it. Um, so yes, I am the hospitalist, so I'm doing all inpatient medicine this um, past two years now. Still come back to the clinic to see my good friends, uh, mm -hmm. do a little bit of urgent care and do a lot of FAA flight physicals. Um, so that's what's been keeping me busy, but it's always good to be back here and like I said, doing lots of inpatient medicine now, more than outpatient, so we've got both bases covered now. That's right, we sure what, do. What's some of the shows that you're looking forward to doing this year? Well, next week I've got the ALS show, so we're talking about Lou Gehrig's disease. So I actually did a little history and learned more about Lou Gehrig and his diagnosis and his famous speech at Yankee Stadium, so you'll be hearing that in the essay. Um, I do like the Ask Anythings. And um, on December 7th, my husband's going to get to guest host we're doing uh, one on veterans since it's uh, Pearl Harbor Day. 
and uh, he is a an Air Force and Air National Guard veteran. So he will be hosting that, talking about uh, veterans affairs. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him on the show, awesome. as I will be in the hospital yeah. as a hospitalist that uh, day. So I asked him to take over and talk about what's going on with um, veterans healthcare. And he is a healthcare professional as well. He is a healthcare yeah. professional as well. He is uh, an ER nurse. He also does uh, nursing in the clinic. He is a paramedic as well, certified paramedic, uh, does some stuff with the ambulance when needed, and one of our volunteer firefighters. So he is just like an all around hero. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, he is. He is a man of service, for yep. sure. Mm -hmm. Dr. De Deb Johnston, how about you, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about yourself? So I have uh, been in Brookings since 96, uh, so I have been here a long time. I'm not a native Brookings person, but I feel like I should be like grandfathered into You're that so status yeah. <laughs> by now. I uh, grew up in Iowa and uh, did my undergrad and medical school training at the University of Iowa and then came to Brookings and just kind of never left. So. What is the show you're inter you're excited about? Oh, doing? I love the Ask Anything shows. Yeah, so sure. I'm super sure. excited to do this show, and I think we'll have some more Ask Anything shows uh, through the course of it. I'm. Um, we're going to do a couple shows on women's health this season that I'm going to host, and so I'm very excited about that. I'm excited about uh, particularly the show that's going to talk about. Um, women's health, women's reproductive health from the first period to the last period and the time after that uh, because I think there's a lot of education that uh, is valuable there. So this Absolutely. is a great opportunity to reach a larger audience than just the people in the exam room with you. And Kelly, what is the show you're interested in that uh, you're excited about doing? Yeah, I, you know, I'm often surprised at the shows that I end up really yeah. loving doing. Yeah. I think part of what's great about hosting the show, you know, you get so, you, like I have friends that come here and guest on this show with me and you end up kind of becoming friends with some people who come back year after year. But, you know, last year I can think of a couple shows in which we had guests with who I had never met before, didn't really know how it was gonna go, and it was just awesome. And now I call those people, you know, right. if I have a question right. in their specialty, I have a friend to call, and um, it's just so many friendly faces, and I am exceedingly grateful for people kind of taking that leap of faith and saying, yes, I'll be on the show. It's kind of scary when you've never done it before, and it's a pure volunteer, time, volunteered time for really busy people. So I just, I really like meeting those people and staying connected to our guests. Absolutely, yeah, mm -hmm. I just had a unusual diagnosis and yeah, I called up one that was on the show mm -hmm. and, and they were super helpful. And yeah. It's it's great building that, really that communication yeah. and everything. Mm -hmm. Tonight we invite you, our audience, to submit or call in with your medical questions. Your name will remain anonymous. Viewers can contact us three ways. Call 1-888-376-6225, send an email to ask at prairiedoc.org, or message us on our Prairie Doc Facebook page. We will work to answer as many of your questions as possible during this episode. Sometimes we receive more questions than we can cover, because Deb will talk too much, and we apologize <laughs> if we do not get to your question. <laughs> to encourage you to ask early, all questions asked in the first 20 minutes will be entered into a drawing for one of our Prairie Doc gift items. The winner will be announced at the end of the program. Your question will remain anonymous, but please provide contact information when you submit your question. 
and so I suppose I should introduce myself a little bit. I'm Andrew Ellsworth. I'm a family doc here in Brookings. Been here 11 years now. And originally from Madison, went to Augustana for undergrad. And um, uh, I just, I've got a boy and a girl. And uh, it's been fun living in Brookings and living the dream, taking care of patients and families. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know it's almost like you know me. <laughs> <laughs> We've gotten yeah. to know each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I'm excited for all the Ask Anything shows and, 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 and getting some, some of my colleagues from across the state on the show. Um, also doing an obesity uh, weight loss show here next month that I think will be interesting. You know, mm -hmm. there's so many changes there and, yeah. and, and things. So excited for that one. But we've got plenty of questions, and we should probably get going. All right. Um, <laughs> what are the best vitamins, minerals, and alternative supplements for those over 70, Kelly? Okay. I, I, you know, I get some variety of this question every day in my clinic, and usually it's a patient who maybe they're already taking certain things and want my opinion on them. The challenge in this entire industry is just a lack of evidence, right? So I think what the public needs to know about the vitamin and supplement industry is that those the makers of those supplements are not required to kind of do the same rigorous science that a, a pharmaceutical company is required to, to do a prescription medication. Um, the problem with that is that it's hard for me to say with a lot of those supplements, unless there's been a big study, and some of them there have, um, whether it's helpful or harmful or neither. Um, most supplements that people ask me about, I say, uh, it, it's probably not gonna hurt you, but if it's expensive, I wouldn't probably spend my money on it. Um, and so, you know, there's some, there's some exceptions. So certainly some vitamins, if you have a deficiency, it's important to know and diagnose and be on those. Um, I think vitamin D is a great example. So vitamin D is something that I, over the last 20 years has been proposed as a treatment for who knows Everything. how many things. <laughs> and generally when it gets under scientific scrutiny, it does not hold up. Um, important for bone health. So we know people who have osteoporosis, osteopenia, we should make sure that they have enough vitamin D. Some of those people do without taking a supplement. Um, so you don't know if you don't check it. Um, but that's a great example of something that we've thought maybe might treat a lot of things and has not held up over the years. Um, Do you recommend if, calcium supplements too? So for, for I get a lot of that question, especially for my postmenopausal women when we're talking about bone health. What I tell them is dietary calcium is actually better. So if you eat calcium in your diet, eat dairy, I tell them to kind of watch their food labels for a couple of weeks. And if you on average get 1200 milligrams of calcium in your diet, then you probably don't need the supplement. And if you don't, then fine, maybe we do need to supplement if you're lactose intolerant or something like that. Um, but too much calcium can actually cause some problems too. So not everybody needs a calcium supplement either. Have you seen problems from supplements before, Deb? Oh yeah, I mean, I think we've all seen people whose levels of various vitamins are too high. And we always think about deficiencies as causing problems, but you can actually see toxicity with certain vitamins too and um, minerals. So yeah, absolutely, there, there can be problems with that. So, you know, I kind of agree with Kelly. I generally tell people, 
maybe if your diet's not great, a general multivitamin, but especially mm -hmm. those older people, um, don't take extra iron. If, if you're losing iron somewhere, we need to know where it's going, mm -hmm. and too much iron can be dangerous to you. So, um, yeah, a general multivitamin is generally all, all recommend to people. Yeah, I mean, just like medications, supplements can interact with each other and yeah. interact with medications and cause adverse mm -hmm. uh, effects. Um, and they can have uh, impurities in them right, right. or extra things that right. they don't, There's that weren't meant to be in there but get in there yeah. or they weren't studied enough anyway. Yeah. Um, and so the standards just aren't as tight for making them yeah, either. Yeah. I think people maybe aren't aware of that. Problems in even the pharmaceutical industry right. in that regard. And sure. there's at least some oversight and some um, mm -hmm. verification in the pharmaceutical industry for that, right. uh, which is not there in the supplement mm -hmm. industry. Do you know of any supplements that can help preserve someone's or make someone's memory better? Boy, don't we wish. Yeah, don't we? And so, I mean, the answer is no. I get asked about, you know, some of these things that advertise that. I mean, the, you know, Prevagen's on, on the, uh, it advertises a lot. No, there's no evidence. And I, we've had, we've asked our neurology specialists on our dementia show the same question. A lot of these things are expensive and I, you know, I feel like most of my patients living on a fixed income probably shouldn't be spending their money on those kinds of yeah. things. It's not regulated from the food and drug no. uh, agency so then they can claim what they want and then say at the bottom not Right. Not intended right. to treat any yeah. condition. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, as a general, as to answer this person's question, no, there's not one thing that I would recommend for everybody over 70. There may be some particular things depending on your individual. Yeah. circumstances but Dr. Cruz yes. you're in the hospital <laughs> should this person ask, should we get another COVID vaccine in the fall when we get our flu shot I would say I don't want to see you in the hospital with COVID so <laughs> go for it I mean I've had five already so you know following the um, booster guidelines, so I would say it would be great to get another booster. Before. I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait for that new booster to come mm -hmm. out and get it. So we have COVID circulating in our community yes. right now. Mm -hmm. um, now, thankfully, it seems like it's been more mild, probably because of past vaccinations mm -hmm. and right. past Infectious. infections. Mm -hmm. But over time, that immunity starts to wane, and mm -hmm. that's where that booster can help bring that up again. Mm -hmm. it, you could still get COVID, but that can help increase the risk of it being mild. Mm -hmm. Have you had in the, any in the hospital lately with COVID? We've had people who have had COVID, but were hospitalized for something else. Sure. So, you know, it was more of an incidental finding. Um, was it the ultimate reason why they were in the hospital? No. Did they need the high levels of oxygen or, you know, the ventilators? Like when it first started, no. So these people are not nearly as sick. Uh, it's more something that we find when we're just being thorough and looking for why are they coughing or why are they short of breath? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's much, but, much better. But it's a good point that sometimes it can just be the extra thing, the thing that, that, that makes things worse or adds an extra complication, whether it's some mm -hmm. sort of blood clot or mm -hmm. right. whatever that, that COVID increases right. your risk for. And, yeah. and then the long COVID complications, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. issues with, you know, smell, taste, you know, and then the fatigue. I've seen a lot of people with long COVID and that's just not something that you want mm -hmm. to deal with. 
And my the last update I saw is that we should be expecting those right. updates hopefully by the end of the month, I guess is the last I heard, but I don't know if there's anything definitive from the yeah. FDA about that. In general, I've been mm -hmm. telling people I'd probably Just wait, wait for bit. now because mm -hmm. there should be a new one soon. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when it's there, yep. get yeah. it, go for it. Mm -hmm. Sounds yeah. good. On September 14th, it will be 14 years since Mary Bjerke donated stem cells from her bone marrow to a person in need. Prairie Doc reporter Sam Schauer shares the story of how one donation changed Mary's life and saved another. In 2001, Mary Bjerke was visiting her brother and his wife in Kansas City where a Be The Match drive was taking place, so they all signed up. So just on a whim, we signed up and that was that, you got a card, and then um, I proceeded to forget that I had even signed up. Suddenly, in early 2009, Bjerke was home in Brookings when she got a call from the National Marrow Donor Program in Kansas City. And they told me that I was a potential match for a 20-year-old female who had acute leukemia. Bjerke was interested in donating and quickly found she was a true match. They soon set up the donation date to be September 14th, and Bjerke couldn't believe how this happened. I really didn't even give it a thought, and I didn't understand back then the impact that that decision would make in my life. Bjerke donated and soon found out the recipient was international. Her name was Steffi, and she was from Germany. In 2012, Bjerke and her husband flew to Germany to meet Steffi and her family. Her family was so overwhelmed with joy to have us there because it was just evident how much they loved Steffi. And I, I mean, I would get a hug from a grandma and she wouldn't let go. They kept in contact through the years and in 2017, Bjerke was invited to Steffi's wedding in Germany. They invited me to participate in the wedding, and so it was a family wedding that I was able to lead, and they insisted that they do their vows in English. And in 2021, Steffi gave birth to a baby girl. To honor the donor who saved her life, she named her Johanna Mary. So, of course, we had to go back and meet our new granddaughter. So, just this past Christmas, we spent the holidays with Steffi and her family. Telling my fellow Prairie Docs, I, I had her on the radio show um, mm -hmm. a few months ago, and you can listen to that as a podcast, yeah. you know, on um, Prairie Doc Radio, um, and it's just an amazing story. So if you if you know Mary, I'd, I'd yeah. recommend asking her about mm -hmm. it or, or listen listen to that, and and go to I think you can go to Be the Match. Be the Match. I think it's I don't know if it's .org or .com, but I've done it. Um, it's super easy. So you basically put in your info. They send you a kit. You swab your mouth and you send it back and then you're in their database and if ever a need comes and you're a match they'll call you up and again of course ask are you willing to do whatever needs to be done whether it be actual you know marrow or just peripheral blood donation but what a great story yeah. I mean oh like gosh. it's like it's That's actually amazing. like the small sac it's not that you know yeah. a pretty small sacrifice for a really huge mm -hmm. impact yeah, cool. yeah, it's yeah. it's and it's one of those things where it's a numbers game. Mm -hmm. They need mm -hmm. so many people to sign up because there's a small percentage mm -hmm. that actually get to match. Right. Mm -hmm. That's why we need as many people to, to yeah. sign up. So. Yeah. And particularly 
people of different ethnic groups. Mm -hmm. You know, we really, the need for people of color, people, mixed race people, is huge because most of the people in the donor pool are Caucasian. Um, but the need is there among people of all ethnicities. So um, a particular plea out there for people of color and people of mixed race heritage um, to sign up yeah. because uh, that need is huge. Well, the questions are piling up. Okay. So now, I think we're gonna already move into our lightning round. <laughs> Uh, this person says, my concern is for people on prescription medicines and is and generic is sometimes substituted, especially meds for depression. Is it safe to go with a generic always or is it sometimes necessary to request the brand name medication? How to voice this concern with your doctor or pharmacist? Go ahead, Doug. I have no problem with generics. No. For the vast, vast majority of people, the generics really are equally effective, and um, they have to be within a certain uh, percentage of the same dose, and most people, it makes absolutely no difference. Sometimes, particularly with thyroid medications, um, I have some concerns when they switch from generic to generic, uh, but usually it's not an issue, and it can save you significant money. Yeah. 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 Um, this person from Mission Hill asked what neuropathy is and what are the common treatments? We did a show on yeah, neuropathy last Great. season. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. there is a whole show talking about that. Um, Jill, do you want to talk about just so briefly what's briefly, neuropathy? Neuropathy, so it's when nerves are sending, sending abnormal pain signals, usually like fingertips, toes, so it's the tiny nerves in your body, and that can cause a significant burning, pins and needles pain. There are treatments for it that help kind of calm down that pain signal and uh, try to stop blocking it um, with different medications uh, that can help with that, but definitely uh, very painful and can interact with um, quality of life significantly if not treated. You can find past shows on prairiedoc.org. Yep. Nice. Uh, and then on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> This person from Hoban asks uh, how one can treat fecal incontinence and what is it? So Kelly, if you've got a patient with mm -hmm. fecal incontinence, what do you recommend? Yeah, I mean, so in a lot of cases it is abnormal. So sometimes if that's an abrupt change, we might consider some new diagnoses and, and whether some studies are warranted. If it's sort of a progression of sort of pelvic floor incontinence or especially in, in elderly or patients with dementia, we don't, you know, that can just be sort of part of that right. process. I often will tell people to start a fiber supplement just for stool bulking so there's less liquid free in the stool to easily pass. Um, but it can be a tough problem and I, I, it's difficult because it really impacts people's lives and their willingness to go out and do things. So um, it can be a, a challenging problem. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if you guys has noticed, have noticed this too, but I've had several patients that start taking a bunch of magnesium mm -hmm. and had looser stools in general and, mm -hmm. and then can have more incontinence yeah. issues. Yeah, so looking for medications. I, I recently have taken someone off of Dinepazil or Aricepta mm -hmm. uh, dementia medication for the same reason. They were having worsening incontinence. And so there are yeah, medicines that might cause looser stools to look for, um, yeah. 
and alcohol and caffeine. Yeah. And, uh, yep. Yes, Const overflow, yeah. overflow, constipation, yeah. can, and which yep. seems very counterintuitive, but mm -hmm. sometimes right. constipation contributes significantly yeah. to diarrhea mm -hmm. yeah. or to, to worth bringing up to your doctor yeah. and absolutely yeah, worth their talking about. Things and you, so, do. you know, pelvic floor physical therapy can help can too. It's similar to urinary incontinence. So, this person wanted us to talk about. Dermacare, particularly after 50 years of age. So I guess I think they're wondering, you know, what do you recommend in patients in general for their skin health? Sunscreen. Yeah, still sunscreen. Sunscreen. That's the yeah. the biggest thing. Yeah, protect yeah. your sun. Is Dermacare a particular product? I don't know. Or okay, so obviously you've you are the winner of the first stump the prairie doc <laughs> uh, of the evening. Um, skin care is is really important, and skin care starts in childhood with that sunscreen. The more you're careful about that sun exposure, the healthier your skin is going to be throughout your lifetime. Uh, not smoking is another major thing that can help keep your skin healthy. Um, and that is true irregardless, mm -hmm. no matter how old you are and, and what your skin concerns are. Um, it's always worth, if you have particular skin concerns, talking to your doctor, going to the dermatologist, I think most people would benefit from a dermatology appointment once a year, just like you go to get your prostate checked or your mammogram or your pap smear uh, to get your skin checked, and that's a good time to ask those questions too. And if you have a lot of moles, taking pictures so you can mm -hmm. compare from last year to this year. Is this spot any bigger? I don't know. How long has it been there? I don't know. Pull up a picture and you can see what's changed, what's getting bigger, what's getting darker. You know, is, is there the ugly duckling mole mm -hmm. that we talk about that looks different than the rest of them that we would want to look at? And once again, we do a skin show every year, every and, year. and yeah. typically you get to, to yeah. host it. And, and in do. general, what are the A, B, C, D, E's of skin? Yeah, so I mean, the, so you're talking about moles and melanoma, which is the sort of scariest sort of skin lesion. Um, and so that has to do with, you know, are there irregularities of the border? Is there asymmetry? If you cut the mole in half, does one half look different than the other? Differences in color um, and those sort of basic mole things. And you're right, we talk about it every year on the dermatology show which is archived or we'll have another one later this year yeah, absolutely that, that's a, this is kind of a, a preview show yeah, yeah. 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 and a post view yeah can you live with atrial fibrillation is there a way to correct it this person from Wessington Springs is wondering. Lots of people live with atrial fibrillation. Yes. My mother lives with atrial fibrillation. So. Mm -hmm. And some people, there's different types. There's um, a persistent one where your heart is always in that irregular rhythm. And then there's uh, ones where it's paroxysmal, where it will come and go. And sometimes you're in a normal rhythm, sometimes you're in the irregular rhythm, and you can flip in and out of them. Um, really, regardless of which one you're on, you're going to want to be on something to lower your risk of having blood clots. Because when that top chamber of the heart is in those irregular beats, it's kind of quivering, and that makes you at higher risk for developing clots, blood clots that then can go to the lungs, can go to the brain, increase your risk of stroke. So uh, with that atrial fibrillation, we'll want to do something to do clot prevention. A lot of times that's with uh, blood thinners, but then there's, you know, certain people are do qualify for what's called a Watchman procedure, where they'll actually close the area of the heart where that, um, 
most of those clots form that left atrial appendage. So mm -hmm. there's lots of different things. Again, cardiology show. I think we've yeah. we've talked yeah. about that. Yeah. Rate, rate control and, and being on the control. blood yeah. blood thinner. Yeah. And sometimes they'll try to restart the heart, heart. Or, yeah. and, and other yeah. medications. But uh, certainly there's plenty of people that live, with, live it, with it. That and a lot of people <laughs> never have symptoms from it. I mean, it's yeah. one of those reasons I tell you know my people even you know if you're pretty well, seeing you once a year so I can listen to your heart because I it's not uncommon that I find that right. just just on a screening incidentally or um, their their watch their yeah, Apple watch true. will There's pick it up more of that now mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> and well that leads to this question mm -hmm. from from Boyd and uh, asks how important yearly checkups are and if the checkup outweighs the risk of exposure to COVID-19 in a healthcare setting mm -hmm. I mean, I would say yes, absolutely. You know, certainly early on we were concerned about that. I, I would say if, if I ever have a patient that's particularly concerned to please voice that at the front desk, or I and my staff are happy to wear masks still in the clinic, even though that's not necessarily uniform everywhere. Um, but I would be happy to do that for a, a patient that is particularly concerned. And yes, of course, you know, we want to keep up on the preventive stuff and not let this fall by the way. Side, checking your blood pressure, listening to your heart and lungs, making sure your screenings are up to date, all that stuff. And I think particularly at this point in the pandemic mm -hmm. when most people have had COVID and or had their vaccines, mm -hmm. the risk of COVID, you still don't want to ignore it, but the risk is much lower mm -hmm. and the risk of not getting your mammogram, not getting your vaccines because mm -hmm. you haven't been to the doctor, that risk is just higher. And I never stop masking in the exam yeah. room because yeah. I don't know who is across from me right. and what their vulnerability might be. So. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think any of us mind masking if no. there's somebody that's at Not higher at risk or more concerned. Absolutely. Um, this person asked about eczema, how do I get rid of persistent eczema? The prescription ointment is not working to clear it up. Mm. There's lots of different prescriptions and lots of newer things. So if we're just talking steroids, there's new things that are out there that can be used for eczema. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the, the basics remain the same. So trying not to let the skin get too dry, you know, avoiding hot, long showers and that kind of thing, avoiding anything harsh, um, sort of Vaseline petroleum jelly is sort of still the standby for moisturizing. But you're right, if, and if it's out of control, there's both topical and systemic things for severe eczema. So if you're not having luck with the basic stuff, absolutely talk to your physician or your dermatologist about it. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Understanding healthcare and how it works can, at times, appear daunting and confusing for individuals. A growing profession to help navigate healthcare and its complexities is a community health worker, or CHW. Prairie Doc reporter Sam Showers spoke to one about his job and how common questions help save lives. Tim Jurgens is a community health worker at Lutheran Social Services of South Dakota in Sioux Falls. His main job is to help people unfamiliar with U.S. healthcare. Work with clients of all different backgrounds and, and demographics on helping them access U.S. healthcare and orientating them to um, well-being. Jurgens says he helps quite a few people per day, whether through the phone or meeting them at a healthcare facility. Typically, eight to 12 individuals is not uncommon per day and our families. And many of the questions can be cultural practices to dentistry to current vaccinations. Right now with the pandemic as an example, it's obviously the big questions right now are immunizations, vaccinations, um, those types of things. 
He says all questions are welcomed as American healthcare can be very confusing for people new to the system. What does it mean? What doesn't it mean? And trying to help be there that uh, liaison between the client and the healthcare provider to try to better um, be a resource to that individual and to the provider. Jurgens says being able to help anyone who has questions makes them happy to be a community health worker. It's just being able to be a resource for them to be able to add some assurance and trustworthiness that, that they can depend on positions like this um, and or to help their family and individuals be served better and more uh, fluently. Jill, I'm sure you have some experience working with community health workers yes. in the hospital setting. We and do. And they can help with that transition too. Can you tell a little bit about yep. that? So there's a lot of times where if there's someone that's going home that we know needs resources or we've noticed that they've been admitted to the hospital multiple times that year or they're having a hard time, you know, 40 medications, we will try to set them up for success by getting that uh, coordination with the community. Uh, health worker to help kind of bridge the gap between the social worker or case manager in the hospital to outpatient. Yeah, that's invaluable resource. Oh, so hopefully great. there'll be more and, and you could inquire about that in your community. Mm -hmm. uh, this question, this person from Alcester asks, if development of arthritis at the ankle is common following a tibial fracture in February? Kelly. It probably depends a little bit on the location of the fracture. I mean, certainly development of arthritis after an injury that involves the joint is absolutely more common. We see that at the knee a lot, you know, so the, the patient who tore their ACL as a teenager is more likely to develop um, arthritis later in life and that kind of thing. So I would say possibly so. Um, maybe depends a little bit on the specifics and location of that tibial fracture. Excellent. Uh, this person from Brookings asked why prescription drug companies spend so much money on advertisements when a small percentage of the population requires a drug, especially given that many require prescription by a medical professional. And are great often question. very yeah. much. That is a great question. <laughs> I my, the same thing myself. And mm -hmm. being the skeptic that I am, I think it's because they've found that they make more money that way. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't that know we how, know. right? I mean, because we're talking, I'm, they see the same commercials mm -hmm. I do about, you know, a very specific type of cancer, for example. Of mm -hmm. course, the oncologist is going to prescribe what's right for that patient, the expert. I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. It, it is interesting <laughs> that we are, uh, that we allow that kind of drug advertising. Most in the countries United do States. not. Yes. Most mm -hmm. countries Most do countries not do allow not. direct to consumer advertising in the yes. pharmaceutical industry. So that yes. is a uniquely American thing. Maybe mm -hmm. it would be better if they just charged less to begin with, and then didn't spend and all this money spend, on commercials. What a novel idea! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Going back to neuropathy, yeah. is there any helpful treatment for spinal neuropathy that affects? I'd say gabapentin is usually kind of the first line medication that we'll try, or Neurontin. Um, Lyrica is kind of the next step up from that. Sometimes we'll use uh, some antidepressant medications um, like uh, duloxetine. Mm -hmm. And not 
because we're secretly trying to say that you're really depressed, yes. because that medication actually does mm -hmm. affect the way the nerve sends those messages. And uh, also there are certain surgical procedures, mm -hmm. um, implantable devices that can be helpful, it kind of depends on the individual circumstance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. More on the neuropathy show. Yeah. <laughs> this caller suffers from histoplasmosis and is seeking general information on the condition. Hmm. Kelly, would you speak to that, please? Yeah, gosh, you know, we don't see a ton of histoplasmosis in this part of the country, but super common in some parts of the country um, and not far from here, honestly. Hopefully they're working with an infectious disease specialist and depending on if the histoplasmosis is active in the lungs, maybe a pulmonary specialist. Um, but that's, I, I, it's a little beyond my field of knowledge to sort of be the educator on histo, not seeing a lot of it here. Um, you know, it's one of those, it, it's an endemic fungal disease, you know, it's something yeah. that's everywhere in some parts of the country and doesn't always cause disease. So, um, you know, if you had a positive test but aren't having evidence of disease, that might be a separate thing entirely. Yeah. 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 I think it does require several months even of yes. treatment. Yes, yes. Most of those um, endemic fungal, fungal diseases do require long, long treatment. Mm -hmm. This person says, I've been told they have a scar tissue outside on the lungs. Can this cause shortness of breath and exhaustion with little activity intermittently? If not, what does the tissue on the outside of the lungs indicate? So they're talking about scar tissue, maybe not in the lungs, but on the outside of the lungs. Mm. So first, I guess the question is, what would cause scar tissue like that? So, um, a little bit of anatomy here. Um, when we think about the lungs, everybody thinks about the sponge-like tissue. Uh, we have almost like a tree that's the trachea and the bronchial tubes and then the sponge-like tissue that's actually the lung tissue uh, where the air exchange happens. But then there is the chest wall and there's what we call the pleura, which is kind of the skin around the lung um, that slides against the pleura on the inside of the chest wall. And if you have scar tissue, I'm guessing what they're talking about is uh, scar tissue with the pleura so that those two um, surfaces don't slide very well. So that person could end up with something we call restrictive lung disease where the lung can't expand uh, the way it's supposed to. And it absolutely, any kind of chronic lung disease can make people really miserable and can make them uh, short of breath and tired. And uh, in terms of the fluctuation in their symptoms, um, you know, that certainly could be something related to their lung disease, particularly like we've had so much smoke mm. from the, the fires in Canada, allergy season, if you have a respiratory infection, anything that tips that delicate balance that somebody might have could certainly cause some fluctuation in their symptoms. Um, I certainly hope if this person has uh, anything that's making them short of breath on a regular basis, mm -hmm. that's interfering with their day-to-day -day life, um, they really should be working with their physician and maybe they uh, need to have more testing, maybe they need to have a medication regimen. You know, speaking of expensive medications, um, those inhalers that are so important for managing lung disease, uh, not necessarily restrictive lung disease, but lung disease in general are 
ridiculously expensive mm -hmm. for people, but uh, that's another thing that sometimes those community health workers mm -hmm. can help us with to find uh, assistance programs or, or other ways. And um, Medicare um, has historically paid better for medications delivered via nebulizer mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. inhalers. So, you know, that's something to work with your doctor on. Um, yeah, excellent. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And you know, past infections can cause tissue oh, yeah. to scarring. So <laughs> you might have, you might see a CAT scan or an x-ray with a comment of scarring. That yeah. might not be the cause of your symptoms. I would not assume that without yeah. making sure there's not something else going on mm -hmm. to other lung disease mm -hmm. or cardiovascular disease or, you know, right. numerous other things. And if you're just reading your, your CT mm -hmm. report or your chest right. x-ray report, the report could say some pretty scary things, so, mm -hmm. uh, and it may not be anything that means anything, so come right. talk to your doctor yeah. about mm -hmm. that report. This person wonders if we have genetic testing here, and does that help with diagnosis and treatment? Have any of you guys been using the, some of the genetic tests available now? So, I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot that could be meant by genetic testing. We I did a show a couple, maybe two years ago about genomics. Um, that was great and really informative to me because a lot of genetics is still really new um, and maybe not quite ready for mainstream for everybody. Um, genetics is definitely important in some fields of medicine, oncology being a big one in which genetics is important and certain disease states, you know, that we know run in families. We talk about genetic counseling. I would say genetics as a, as a broad, like, am I using genetic testing every day in my practice? No, I'm not. Um, you know, I, I think in general medicine, there's, there's a lot we still don't know about genetics, especially when it comes to more common diseases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of those common diseases may have a genetic component, but that's only it's a small yeah. percentage of what causes that right. actual disease. Yeah. So uh, things like things that are clearly genetic, sometimes mm -hmm. like um, alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency mm -hmm. or certain um, blood disorders mm -hmm. like uh, blood clotting disorders mm -hmm. or uh, hemophilia mm -hmm. or um, thalassemia mm -hmm. or sickle cell. I mean, those are things that genetic testing is useful for, and I know our OB colleagues often offer certain genetic testing mm -hmm. for those things. Um, but I think there's a lot of kind of direct-to-consumer marketing of mm -hmm. genetic information that is of very questionable mm -hmm. value and accuracy. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely getting used more and more, mm -hmm. um, and you know, in cancer treatments, mm -hmm. and and they can mm -hmm. get get yes. the, the genomics behind the various types of cancer to, mm -hmm. to fine tune the treatments, right. and and so the field is continues to explode. But yeah. uh, and you know, and we'll use it in the clinic sometimes just to help with some medications. The way right. you can tell us mm -hmm. how your body breaks down medications and, right. and for choosing medications. Mm -hmm. But pain medications, antidepressants, uh, Plavix. How your mm -hmm. body reacts with Plavix. That's yeah. also and a big one. Certain cholesterol medicines. And cholesterol medications. And those, mm -hmm. But yeah. uh, it's it's got a limited role. I use a lot of that pharmacogenomic testing and treating depression um, and kind of helping when someone's been on a couple of different medications mm -hmm. and had trouble finding one that works or having a lot of side effects. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do that, but it's only part of the equation. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This person is a healthy 75-year-old from Hot Springs who wanted to donate a kidney, and we were talking about donation earlier, yeah. but was denied. And they're wondering the reasoning behind this. Now, of course, we don't know the exact specifics of that, mm -hmm. but 
I guess, what are some of the reasons why someone gets denied sometimes? Could be just not a match. It's true. If, if you're not a match with that mm -hmm. recipient, that would be the most common reason to be denied to be a organ donor because right. it has to be a good enough match. So if you're not, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter what health you're in, you're not going to be a candidate for that particular person to. Yeah. And it is unbelievable sometimes where a direct family member mm -hmm. wasn't a match, right? But then someone else in the mm -hmm. through marriage was, or, right. or someone else right. not totally unrelated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the donor has to have two healthy kidneys. They have mm -hmm. to be able to live without their one kidney. So that right. would be one factor that that the donation center would be looking at as well. Would be donor. And they health. are very, very strict mm -hmm. about health. I, as a primary care doctor, might say, oh, your blood pressure is well controlled, your mm -hmm. blood hemoglobin A1C, the blood sugar summary test is only slightly off. Mm -hmm. um, I think you're in great health and the donor center will say right. you're not in good enough health yeah. because we worry about you know, if you've got yeah. 20 years, we have to be sh reasonably sure that that one yeah. remaining mm -hmm. kidney is going to be sufficient yeah. for you for that. They don't want to cause risks for the person getting the yeah. kidney or the person donating, yeah. the donating kidney exactly. to limit the risks as best they can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This person from Arlington recently had a heart monitor installed. That's how common they are utilized and what the future may look like. Mm -hmm. So installed. I yeah. assume that probably means an implantable loop recorder, which mm -hmm. is something that can stay in forever or as long as it's necessary to find what's being looked for and then come out. Um, it's kind of just a, a more advanced way of what we've used. You know, we can do Holter monitors for a few days or some of these patches for up to 14 or days or a month. But the implantable loop recorders are really to find you know, if someone thinks there might be a rare rhythm problem happening that you can't catch on those shorter term monitors and it's important to catch. Um, so, I mean, they're kind of cool, you know, they're like this big, they're pretty little, they go right under the skin um, and yeah, they, they can be left in lifelong. Mm -hmm. Along the similar lines, you know, there's 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 uh, pacemakers yep. and, mm -hmm. and ICDs, mm -hmm. implantable mm -hmm. defibrillators. Can people live with those for very long? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, long time. And they're, those are getting all smaller. Oh, there's there's yeah. new leadless pacemakers. I mean, like, so, I mean, cardiology is one of those fields where technology advances, yeah. um, you generally in a good way for patients. But of course, we always wanna make sure that the new technology is at least as good as the old, right? Mm -hmm. New is not always better. We can't assume that, we gotta, and I think that's one of the reasons why we love doing this show, yeah. mm -hmm. is learning about the advances and mm -hmm. changes in medicine mm -hmm. and, and helping share that with the rest of the state mm -hmm. and with each other, because mm -hmm. we're still learning yep. too. Oh, We've I seen see. plenty of mm -hmm. changes in medicine. If you just think about how now we can go in and they go in and remove a stroke remove yeah. the clot right out of the brain right. instead mm -hmm. when before we would have just done some sort of blood thinner and mm -hmm. crossed oh, our fingers. fingers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now they can do some amazing things mm -hmm. and the medications and the cancer treatments mm -hmm. and the surgeries, robotic surgeries, minimally invasive, mm -hmm. where they were in the hospital for mm -hmm. a week or two before mm -hmm. and now they go home the next day. Mm -hmm. And so that's the exciting things we're learning about on the show. Mm -hmm. And we do this as volunteers. Mm -hmm. Yes. And. Uh, Right before the show started, we were approached and surprised to find that we were the volunteer of the month 
for Brookings. For Brookings. Yeah, for Brookings, yeah. So uh, Mayor <laughs> Niemeyer came and presented that along with Heidi and Ann from United Way and Shelby from First Bank and Trust. And so we were surprised and honored and and okay. and uh, we're grateful and thankful to, to be able to do this and, and thankful for our viewers to share this time with us. and. Mm -hmm. uh, we appreciate those those positive comments here and there because it does take time. And, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Any other thirty yeah. seconds to to wrap that part up? Yeah, I say? mean, we we wouldn't do it if we didn't really enjoy doing it. We appreciate the recognition of the the volunteer service. I am every time I come here, I am amazed that Dr. Holm did this all by himself for so long as he did. Yes. Aren't you? I mean, Absolutely. it is a lot of work. Absolutely. What a what a guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And and I also think we should share this with all of our volunteer Absolutely. guests who have an even bigger job, an even bigger leap of faith. And our production team. And our production and, yeah. team. Mm -hmm. Everyone and on this. Yes. 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 The winner of our prize tonight is Marilyn from Washington Springs. Thank you, Marilyn, for asking a question during the first 20 minutes of the show. A gift will be sent to you. We'll be back after this. Searching for trusted medical information or looking for a doctor for your medical needs? Head to the Prairie Doc YouTube channel today to access previous On Call with the Prairie Doc episodes. And make sure to join us most Thursdays on SDPB or streaming on our Prairie Doc Facebook page. My son is a Boy Scout. Hopefully he will become an Eagle Scout like his dad his grandpa, his uncle, and not to mention 11 of the 12 men who walked on the moon. Whether he does or not, it has been an honor seeing the program help him and other boys mature into responsible young men. This summer, our troop took our canoes along the 108 miles on the Missouri River in Montana in the Upper Missouri River Breaks National Monument. That stretch of the Missouri where the river has carved impressive rock formations that create breaks in the land is largely untouched and flows as it did for Lewis and Clark's expedition in 1804-1806. Canoeing and camping along the same places as the Corps of Discovery was an amazing experience and provided ample time to ponder the immense changes our nation has made in 200 years. Medicine has also made immense changes and progress in the last two centuries. For instance, bloodletting, which had been used for thousands of years, was still in practice at the time of Lewis and Clark, although some physicians were doing studies that showed its harm and limited benefit. Contrast that to advances today in germ theory, insulin for diabetes, surgical advances, tiny stents that can open up blood vessels in the heart and brain, X-rays, CTs, and MRIs, amazing new drugs, the list is exponential. Dr. Benjamin Rush was a leading American physician at the time of the Lewis and Clark expedition. A big proponent of bloodletting and purging, he convinced Meriwether Lewis to bring 600 of his Rush's Thunderbolts pills along the journey. Containing mercury and other strong purgatives, they were used for about anything. They cleared your bowels, if nothing else. Higher levels of mercury in the soil have helped identify where Lewis and Clark camped. As Prairie Docs, we know we do not have all the answers, and some of our answers, because of science and research, can and do change with time. That is one reason we invite other medical experts to write articles and be on the On Call with Prairie Doc show. 
We are dedicated to enhancing health and diminishing suffering by communicating useful information based on honest science provided in a respectful and compassionate manner. We want to highlight the changes and progress in medicine while also stressing the importance of good old preventative care, a healthy diet, and exercise. We do this as volunteers because we all know the importance of providing trusted health information free to our audience. We are funded by you, our readers and viewers. Thank you for your support and trust as we begin our 22nd season. to Dr. Evans, Dr. Johnston, Dr. Cruz, our Prairie Docs, and myself, for volunteering <laughs> their time to help us to answer your questions. If you would like to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or visit us at prairiedoc.org. Look for Prairie Doc Perspectives in your local newspaper and online. Listen to us live every Wednesday morning at 9.30 on KBRK Brookings. And be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever podcasts can be found. From all of us here at On Call with Prairie Doc, thank you for joining us for another episode of health information based on science, built on trust. Until next time, stay healthy out there, people. Amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS, has Greek roots, meaning without nourishment to muscles. What happens when our nerve cells stop communicating with our muscle cells? Loss of signal to the cells. Next time, on call with the Prairie Doc. My name is Jennifer May. I'm a rheumatologist in Rapid City, South Dakota. I got involved maybe around 2005. That's when I first started practicing in Rapid City and my former partner introduced me to Rick and actually got me on the on-call show. I think we did a story on gout. Um, and that was my first introduction to Rick and the Prairie Doc sort of concept. And it's a great resource for information. We have a lot of people that live in remote places. They maybe don't have a lot of good access. And we know that there's a lot of misinformation in terms of health information that you can get online. And having a reliable source for people to go to with people they recognize that they might know on the programming, I think is really important. Well, I think having anything that isn't tied to an agenda is really important. And so having access to information that you can refer your patient to that you know they're not going to get fees or get their data sold is really important. I think if people want high quality programming from local people, local experts that supports your community, supporting Prairie Doc is the way to go. For more information or to donate, please go to www.prairiedoc.org or mail your donation to Post Office Box 752, Brookings, South Dakota 57006. Thank you for your support. Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Dog has been provided by... At Avera, our nationally recognized health system will be right here with you, with care and coverage. 
Hello Possibility, Hello Healthy. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, First Bank and Trust, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Monument Health, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison Flandreau District Medical Society, Peer District Medical Society, Sioux Falls District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Orthopedic Institute, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftel Communications.